0: please uh, keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to ask everyone, please uh, open up your Bibles each time, you know, we we have the sermon, we do scripture reading. Uh, The PowerPoint is really just for our guests who have forgotten to bring their Bible. Uh, It's something about reading the Word of God from the pages of your own Bible and marking it up, highlighting it, uh, getting familiar with the words and the placement of the words on that page. All right. It's irreplaceable. So uh, be sure you have your own Bible with you each and every week. We, uh, we here at New Philadelphia, we use the ESV version of the Bible. Um, it's just what we've chosen, and so we have to stick with it. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to be look, look, looking at today. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the saints' movement. How God gives us the fivefold ministry, not so that they can do the work of the ministry, but so that they may equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen. And uh, I talked about how every saint is called to be an effective minister for God's purposes. Amen? Amen. And give me a little more mic, dude. Um, you know, a lot of uh, churches, they have taught an escapist eschatology. A view of the end times that says, since the world is going to hell, we should have nothing to do with it. We should just have nothing to do with the systems of this world. And so the church, we give up the high places to the devil. We hand the devil the keys to media, arts, government, business, education. The devil is putting entire cities and nations under bondage, under idolatry, under oppression, under darkness. And the church is just thinking, this is the way it is. Brothers and sisters, we are not on earth to survive until the return of Christ. But the church is supposed to be a victorious bride. We are are on earth to prosper, to take dominion, and to advance the kingdom in direct confrontation and opposition to the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And if Christ is in us, then he caused us to do the same thing. To go and destroy the works of the devil, wherever it's found. In fact, we are supposed to do greater things than what Christ did. This is what he promised us. And I'm tired of uh, dead, dry churches that are like nursing homes where people are just waiting to die that so they can go to a better place. All right, I'm looking. For, I'm looking for churches right now because God's raising up churches right now that are not like nursing homes. They're they're victorious, militant armories where God's raising up an army of mighty warriors. Amen. He's doing it, and we're not the only church. It's churches all over the world that are experiencing this type of spirit. This type of restoration, this type of passion. And I sure am glad. Because, I, I mean, I, lo- I love the church in which is you know, the Presbyterian church. And this is a Presbyterian church. Although you, you may not think that we're a Presbyterian church. But you know, most of us have had either Methodist, Baptist, or Presbyterian background. Uh, some people here have had a Catholic background and whatnot. But uh, we come from denominational churches. But we've been experiencing... God. Not just knowing about Him, but actually knowing Him. Because, you know, in the end time, Jesus says some, some people are going to come up to me and call me Lord, Lord, and I'm just going to tell them, I, I, I never knew you. There's something, something strange about that picture, something's not clicking. So a lot of people are going to go up to Jesus and say, I know you. I know you. But it's really, I just knew about you, I knew the doctrines, I knew what to say, I knew what to believe. But they didn't really have a personal relationship with the Lord. You cannot replace relationship. And in a relationship, you need to experience things. You can't just, you know, for me to be in a marriage relationship with Aaron, I can't just read books about Aaron. And think that I got a relationship with her. I mean, I got to spend time with her. I got to talk to her. I got to listen to her. I got to do what, she's, she, what she likes. The things that's going to please her. Right, you develop a relationship. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, in Western Christianity, you know, the element of experience has been belittled. We look at it in a condescending fashion. But look, Christianity... It's never meant to be just an academic, heady religion. Christianity is to be experienced. You can't really know God unless you experience God. And that's why God gives the church gifts. So you can experience them in healing. You can experience them in prophecy. You can experience them. Signs, wonders, miracles. Hallelujah. Now, um... So you know this message about the Saints' movement—it was—it uh, was a call to the church to rise up, you know, and, and to go out and do the work of the ministry because that's our destiny and that's our calling. And um, I'm all about do, do, do. It's all about getting the job done. And my personality type is a powerful choleric, so I'm a doer. I'm goal-oriented. You know, I shoot, 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 and then I aim. I take initiative. I'm a Martha. But where I preached previously about what we need to do, today I'm going to focus a little bit more on what we need to be. I'm going to talk a little bit more today about maturity, about character. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 14. I'm sure. Look at verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head onto into Christ. We are to grow up in every way. I want you to turn to your neighbour right now, tell him to grow up. You need to grow up. It's the truth, you need to grow up. And if you look earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it tells us the fivefold ministers are given to the body of Christ to equip the saints for the ministry. But also, it says to build up the saints so that they can become mature. Fivefold ministers are given to build up the saints to maturity. Look at verse 14, Ephesians 4, 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children. You know, when Paul was writing this letter, he wasn't writing it to a youth group. He was talking to adults. But ain't it the truth? We got a lot of adults that are going around acting like children. They're all up in the church. You know, the Bible, Bible encourages us to nurture a childlike heart before God. Not a childish one. Amen? Come on, somebody. We're no longer to be like children. We need to put our childish ways behind us. So right now, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to describe four stages of maturity that most people experience as they grow up. The four stages of maturity that people experience as they grow up. And I first heard about this from Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Texas. I Holly highly recommend his podcast. He's a wonderful preacher, spirit-filled church. Now, um, and what I'm about to talk about, these four stages, it applies to the biological process of growth. It also applies to marriage, and it also applies to your spiritual life. And so what you'll notice is, whether we're in stage two or three, most of us have a tendency to kind of slip back and forth. So I'm going to describe it for you. Turn with me to Luke 15. And I'm going to use the story of the prodigal son to kind of illuminate some of the stages of this maturity process that we come through. Luke 15, verse 12. This is the parable of the prodigal son. The first stage... In the process toward maturity, the first stage is just described with two words. Each of the stages will be described with just two words. First stage is give me. It's the give me stage. You look at verse 12 of Luke 15. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me. You know, every person in the world starts in the give me stage. Little children, they are born in the give me stage. All, all little children are all about is just give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me candy. Give me, give me, give me. Give me that, give me that toy. Give me, give me, give me. And the hope of every parent is to see their children outgrow this stage. And this is where every one of us, we start biologically. But, you know, this is also where we start spiritually. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but all of us in here, we got saved for selfish reasons. Ever thought about that? There's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way we start. Most of us start our spiritual walk in this way. But think about why most of us became Christians. It's because we didn't want to go to hell. Or we wanted God to fix the mess that we made upon ourselves. But a lot of us, we get saved for selfish reasons. And so spiritually, when we start out, we start out also in this give me stage. Jesus said for a man to see the kingdom of God, he's got to be born again. Right, And so when a person gets born again spiritually... That person is like a newborn baby, spiritually speaking. And as you know, a baby's main priority is just to say, give me, give me, give me. And you see a baby Christian, what are they constantly saying? Give me, give me, give me prayer. Give me counseling. Give me Bible study. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me blessings. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is normal. But it becomes a problem When the person has had plenty of time to grow up. And they refuse to move on from the stage. They continue to stay in the give me stage. You know, this is where every marriage starts out as well. Let me talk to the married women and men in here. Ladies. He got married to you so that you can give to him. And gentlemen, she married you so you can give to her. And this is where everyone starts. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize anything like that. This is where everyone starts. This is not where we end up, but this is where we start when we, when we start marriages. Every man gets married so that a woman will meet his needs, and every woman gets married so that a man will meet her needs. This is where marriages start. It's in the give me stage. You know, a month ago, Aaron and I we had marriage counseling with Martin and Tina, and we did this activity where we listed the top five needs that we want our spouse to meet. so we took our time to write, write down these things. And let me tell you. I knew clearly what needs that I wanted Erin to meet. And I was writing this list. I got really excited. And as I read it out loud, I emphasized it. So that she can memorize it. But when it came to listening to her list. I paid attention, Let me, but let me be real, let me be real. I paid attention, but I was not nearly as excited about her list <laughs> as I was about mine. And now we've only been married about two years, so you got to give us some time, all right? But everybody starts out in marriage in the give-me stage. And for marriage to prosper, it can't remain in the give-me stage. Marriages fall apart when people can't get out of the give-me stage. The truth is, we all start selfishly, biologically, spiritually, and in marriage. We all start out, every one of us, in the give-me stage. Let me move on and talk about the second stage. The second stage is use me. God, I want you to use me. I want to serve. I want to do your will. God, I want you to use me. God, use me. God, use me. Now, there is a good use me. But I'm not talking about that. This second stage that I'm talking about is a hidden form of selfishness that has the appearance of maturity, but not the substance of it. The first stage is about gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give right? Because of our selfish desires. The second stage is use me, use me, use me because of our selfish ambitions. And especially in the church. So many people, they move on to this use me stage. But the main drive that we want God to use us is so that we can be noticed. It's so that we can have a position so that we can feel important so that we can be honored and feel feel accepted uh, in Acts chapter 8 verse 19 Peter and John they were preaching the gospel and they were laying hands on people for them to receive the baptism of the spirit and so whenever they laid hands on people the power of God will come upon people and it was a very distinct and powerful and dramatic experience and there was a gentleman named Simon the Magician. He was a town magician. But when he heard the gospel through the lips of Peter uh, through Philip, he got saved. And Simon was following around Peter and John. And then Simon noticed what was happening. And he said to Peter and John, he said, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Give me this power also. Give me so that whoever I lay my hands on will also receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this sounds very noble. But Simon the magician wasn't saying this so that he can bless people and honor the Lord. He was saying this so that he could be powerful. So that he can feel important. In the immaturity of his faith, he was saying, God, give me and use me so I can look good. And it's such a hidden and subtle form. But brothers and sisters, it's indicative more of, of immaturity rather than maturity. Now, how does this apply to marriage? Well, in marriage, you see, people in the first stage, they say, I want you to give me something that will make me happy. I want you to meet my needs so that I can be happy. Then after a while, the spouse begins to figure out, This person can't really make me happy. Now, come on. The longer you're married, the more you realize this person really can't make me happy. And and to all the married people and all to the singles in here that are hopeful to get married, let me just spit the truth, all right? Let me just give you the sobering truth so you don't find out later and make it a rude awakening. I'll tell you right now, okay? Your spouse can't make you happy. You can have a happy marriage, but your spouse cannot make you happy. See, only God can make you happy. And if you're looking to your spouse to make you happy, you will always be disappointed. So here's what happens, right? A married person says to himself, my spouse can't give me what I need. Can't can't really make me happy. And so they say to themselves, well, if, they can't make, if I can't get something from my spouse that will make me happy, I want to do something useful that will make me happy. I want to do something. I want to achieve something. I want to go out and do something significant so that I can feel significant. And as one spouse gets consumed by the work and ambition... The other spouse experiences great estrangement. And you know what? The truth is, this is where a lot of marriages end up in divorce. You know, God, he did not create marriage to make you happy. write that down and <laughs> you know, all of us we 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 you know we we often we desire marriage from a place of discontentment from a place of hoping that once we are married we'll be super happy all the days of our lives and yeah we we know that we can't be happy every single day but most days we'll be happy And we look at happiness. I mean, we look at marriage, and we create it with happiness. And we think God must have created marriage so that I can be happy. But I'm here to tell you right now, God did not create marriage to make you happy. God created marriage to make you holy. And that's the divine secret that God doesn't really tell you about. It's only when you are in a marriage you start finding the clues that this whole thing is not really about your happiness. It's really about your holiness. And you see, when you are holy, you will find intimacy with God. And the more of God you get, the more you experience true happiness. So when it comes down to it, God does want to give you true happiness. But he's got to make you holy first. He's got to get more of him in you. He's got to give you more of himself. But as long as you're not living holy, he can't get more of, because he's holy. You're not going to understand. You're not going to feel and experience and understand the love and, and, the, and the grace of God unless you become holy. Unless you become like him. And if you want to be holy. You got to die to yourself. And learn to put others first. And the best way to die to self. Let me tell you something right now. The best way to die to self is to live with someone else. And have no, and have no hope of escape. Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying the truth. The best way to die to self is to live with somebody else. You see, every one of y'all in here, y'all have roommates and stuff like that, but guess what? You moved out. Can't do that in marriage. It's permanent. God designed marriage so that you will learn how to be selfless. You will learn how to lay down your life for others. So what marriage is designed to do. And then he brings children into your marriage so that you will learn to be even more selfless. You know, think about it. It's hard to be selfish when you're waking up at three in the morning to feed your baby. Babies don't care. <laughs> give me, give me, give me, give me, give me! God wants you to be happy, but he knows that you will never experience true happiness until you learn to lay down your life for others. Till you learn what it means to, be, to, to, to have selfless love toward others. So... This use me is a good thing to say to God. But when we are young and immature, a lot of the times, we're saying it for the wrong reasons. And uh, King Saul, he never got out of the stage. He wanted God to use him as a king. But if you really look at King Saul, he was always more concerned about how he looked rather than obeying the voice of the Lord. Because what was it for him? It was ambition. It was about, use me, use me, use me, so that I can look good. You see, brothers and sisters, where you say, God, use me so that I can look good, God wants to mature you to a place where you say, God, use me so that you can look good. Where your ambitions for his glory outweigh your ambitions for yourself. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with you having desires to be significant, desires to be noticed and honored. That's not, that's not evil. You know, we, we notice in strength finders is one of the strengths, the significance. And I have it as your pastor. It's just that when things are out of order, when those desires for significance outweigh your desires to honor and glorify God. That's when things get out of whack. Now, um, these are the first two stages of maturity. Let's move on to the third. Move on to the third. Uh, Look at Luke 15, verse 17. Prodigal son, he goes, squanders all his wealth and while living. Look at verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said. When he came to himself. In other words... When he searched his own heart, you see, the third stage of maturity is search me. It's search me. See, if you really want to grow up, you got to come before the Lord. Quit blaming everyone else for your troubles. And you start praying, Lord, search me. You know, you will never mature in your spiritual walk as long as you are blaming someone else for the situations in your life. If there is even a fraction of blame in your heart towards someone else for your circumstances, you put a halt in the process of your own maturity and growth. You see, brothers and sisters, we got to learn to take responsibility for ourselves. Let me tell you about something. This happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam sinned. Yeah, he got tempted, but guess what? At the end of the day, Adam chose to give in. It was his choice. He sinned. And so God confronts Adam for his sin. And guess what Adam says? Guess what Adam does? He blames Eve. It's this woman. It's her fault. And if you really look closely, he blames two people. Guess what he says? He says, the woman you gave me. It's the blame game. And then when God comes to Eve, what does Eve say? It's the serpent's fault. I ain't doing nothing wrong. It ain't my fault. It's the serpent. And they do this blame game and unfortunately men and women have been playing the blame game ever since the Garden of Eden. People refuse to take responsibility for their own actions. And they just play the blame game. And they never mature. They never grow. They don't grow up. Marriages can deteriorate, deteriorate. Marriages can fall apart when they get into this blame game. You know, when circumstances go bad and husbands, they blame the wife or they blame the in-laws. It's a bad game to play. It's always the other person's fault that I can't do what I want, that I can't achieve my dreams sisters, here's how you get out of the blame game. You say, search me, O God. Psalm 139, if you want to turn there. Psalm 139, verse 23. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Hallelujah. Search me, O oh God. You know, sometimes you don't know you very well. That's why you need to just say, God, search me. I'm not aware of all the things that need to be worked on. I don't know if I can handle working on everything all at the same time, but Lord, I am willing to work on one or, few, one or two things. So will you just search me today? Show me the areas that you want to highlight. And bring out all those grievous ways so I can walk in the way of everlasting life. You know, but a lot of times we refuse to allow God to search our hearts. Isn't that true? Um, we are quick to criticize and point fingers, but we hardly ever examine ourselves. Is that not the truth? Man, is that person, man, that, that, that the, the, the mission trip didn't go so well? Is that person's fault that the conference fell apart? Is this person's fault that the praise team's not going so well? Right? So so quick to blame. So quick to point it out. And yet, maybe they contributed to it. It's probably smarter to search your own heart first. Before you have a more sober assessment. If your small group leader or your mentor or your spiritual authority tries to address something that requires change, a lot of times we just push them away. We just shut them out. We don't pick up. You see, small group leaders calling, small group leaders calling, small group leaders calling, sorry, <laughs> reject. Come on, I know, I know this is what everyone does in here, come on. And whether it's pride or insecurity, when we refuse to search our own hearts, we deny ourselves from further maturity and growth. When we allow pride and insecurity to rule our lives, we end up becoming unteachable and even unreachable. It's a very dangerous place to be. Nobody can get through to you. Nobody is able to speak into your life. So you just continue to repeat the same mistakes. The same mistakes your mama always pointing out. But you always just think, oh, that's his mama. That's just my mom. My mom's always saying stuff like that. And you just repeat the same mistakes. Brothers and sisters, don't do this to yourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when we stop listening to each other, it's just a matter of time before we stop listening to God. When you do not give someone else, especially a spiritual leader, you don't give them access to speak into your life. It's just a matter of time before... You're not going to be even able to hear from God himself. Very dangerous place to be. And unfortunately, the truth is, nev- many believers, they never get to this stage. They might pray it at some retreat, but they don't really get into this stage. Because, you know, you got to go deep. And you got to like, yeah, this is a prayer you got to pray. Like, regularly. when the Holy Spirit leads you. But most people, this is Too uncomfortable. There's too much ugliness inside, it's, or there's too much pride. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I don't need nobody to search me, examine me. Look, I know, I know my weaknesses, and that's about it. I'm, I'm dealing with them. Leave me alone. It's a dangerous place to be. They say, well, you don't understand what happened to me. It really is someone else's fault that my life is like this. You don't understand what happened. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be like this. And let me just tell you something to that. Look, you are not responsible for someone else's actions. But the word of God says, God does hold you responsible for your actions and your reactions. Brothers and sisters, it's very important that we learn to search our own hearts. If you really want to grow, and there's a lot of people looking at me right now, and I just want to say that you got to grow up. You need to grow up. Spiritually, you need to grow up. Like, biologically, like just social skills and everything, like you need to grow up. Now, seriously, we got some we got some wacky people up in here. I love that. I love I love the diversity. I lo- I love it. But look, I, I I don't love it that you stay there for two, three, four years. Hey, look, if you you would not you will not really grow up unless you learn to say, Lord, search me. You know, have you ever lost your wallet? Or you ever lose your keys or your 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 best outfit, your favorite dress, whatever? Think about what you do to try to find it. I mean, you search. You look in places you know your keys ain't at. You search everywhere. When was the last time you searched your heart like that before God? Where you were trying to be brutally honest and just say, Lord, what are the things that are keeping me from growing? What are the things that I need to repent of? What are the things that I need to let go and renounce and turn my back on? Lord, what are these things? Which are the hard issues that you are highlighting for me at this moment? God, search me. i go on to the next level of maturity, the next stage of maturity. If you look in uh, Luke 15, look back on Luke 15, verse 19. The prodigal son he starts to search his heart and he realizes, I just need to go back to my father's house. And then here's what he says to himself. He says, he starts preparing his uh, I'm sorry speech. He says, Father, verse six, verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, that's ESV. It says, treat me as one of your hired servants. In the NIV, it says... Make me like one of your hired men. The fourth stage of growth is simply make me. Psalm 23 verse 4. Lord, make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Psalm 119 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. I don't want to just know about rules and regulations. I want to know about the values that undergird those rules. Undergird your word. Isaiah 64 verse 8. We are the clay, you are the potter. we are all the work of your hand. When you come to this stage, you say, Lord, make me, mow me into the person you want me to be. And you're not just singing a song. You really mean it in your prayer before God. And you expect God to answer. God, make me. Make your. May your fire burn away. All the angerness, bitterness, insecurity. And Lord, make me into a man of character. Make me into a woman of integrity. God, do what needs to be done to make me into a woman and man of boldness, of leadership. A man and woman... That not only does the work of God on the outside, but is the man or woman that you are pleased with at the heart. There's a lot of people that can do things, that can appear bigger than they really are. But what's really important is that you're more bigger in the inside than you are on the outside. Let me tell you right now, you experience success. That's why the anointing is so dangerous. We we press in for the supernatural. We press in for the power of God. But the anointing is very dangerous. Because the anointing can wreck you. The anointing can kill you. You get too much of the anointing too quickly. And you don't have the character and the faithfulness and the maturity to handle it. It will wreck you. I'm reminded right now of the story of Samson. A man who was big on the outside, but was teeny in the inside. His weakness with sexual, like, his weakness with women was indicative of his lack of character. His lack of maturity. And for whatever reason, he didn't grow up. But for whatever reason, God still gave him the anointing. Real powerful. Took the jawbone of a donkey and killed thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey. Okay. Try making a movie about that. (laughs) How do you, how do you do that? But he did it. He was able to rip open lions with his bare hands. Incredible anointing power and strength. But you see, his maturity never caught up to the anointing that he was carrying and ended up killing him, ended up destroying him. Because whenever Satan sees the anointing on you, he's going to draw a big bullseye around you and target you for attack. Because you see, the anointing, you don't earn it. You don't earn spiritual gifts. That's why they're called gifts. The anointing is free. For whatever reason, however God determines, he gives it out. The gifts, the call, the the anointing, God gives it out for free. You can't earn it. And so Satan just knows that. So he knows God's god been known to give it to all kinds of different people and at all kinds of different stages of maturity. People get it. And so when he finds it, he finds the people with an anointing, he targets them for attack. And you don't got the maturity, you don't got the inside To be able to handle the temptations and the attacks the enemy is trying to use to destroy you. Guess what? That anointing is going to end up destroying you. Make me. This is when we get to a pure place of being used by God. Is when we say, Lord, make me. You know, when spouses begin to say this, this is where families can be fruitful. And families get restored. Is when just even just the husband just says, Lord, make me into the man you want me to be. How many marriages just fall apart because men can't... They, they don't have the humility to say that. They're constantly blaming their spouse. John Maxwell said, Character is closing the gap... Between knowing and doing. What an excellent definition of character. Character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Let me tell you a secret. If you really want God to forge the character of Christ in you. If you really want God to make you into the man he wants you to be. Raise your hand. If you really want God to make you. You don't even know what that means. But I just want God to really make me into the man. All right. You see, all right. A lot of people. Okay. Let me tell you a secret right now. Yeah, a lot of people will say there's no express train to character. I beg like to defer. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 to 4. says not only so but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character. Let me tell you a little secret. You really want God to put you on the express route to make you into the man or woman of God He wants you to be? Get ready for some growing pain. Brace yourself. Because you may not know what you're really asking for. Because if you really want to grow quickly, because you're frustrated. Lord, I'm so immature. I make so many stupid mistakes. Lord, why am I such a child still? Why am I always saying, give me, give me, give me? Lord, I want to grow up. Lord, help me to grow up quickly. Make me, make me, make me the woman you want me to be. Make me the man you want me to be. And God you really mean that? We can arrange that. I will arrange that for you right now. I mean, I'm not trying to scare you to not praying it. But I am saying, if you look, in the, if you look at the women, women and men of God in the Bible that demonstrated awesome character, men and women that were not only known for their achievements, like Samson, but were also known for their character, like Joseph, like David like the Apostle Paul, what you will find out is that they had to persevere through great trial, suffering, growing pains. They went through massive rejection, massive slander, pain, lots of growing pain. Like literal, physical pain. Paul. He got stoned. I mean, I bet, I bet that stoning. That stoning. I mean, I'm not saying that, that you ask for God to <laughs> give you character. That you're going to get physically beat and stuff. But I'm telling you, that, that's, that stoning did something to Paul. It forged An identity. He identified with Christ in a way that he never identified before. Guess what? Because Christ suffered. He went through incredible pain. And there's something about being closer to Christ through even identifying with his sufferings that causes you to be like Christ in character much quicker than if you just read about that character. Does somebody understand what I'm saying? The key to gaining character through suffering. And by the way, suffering doesn't produce character. It is rejoicing in suffering that produces character. You see, when you're just like, oh, this is hard. Oh, I'm suffering. Ah, ouch, ouch. Suffering is not going to produce character. Okay? It is perseverance. You know what perseverance looks like? It's rejoicing in the middle of the suffering. It's being in jail. You got sliced up, whipped up. Peter and Silas. I mean, Paul and Silas. They're up in jail. They're bleeding all day. They, and then on top of that, they put the stocks, iron stocks on their ankles, whatever they did. And then in the middle of that, having church and just singing how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And all the fellow prisoners are like, hey, shut up over there. Actually, that song is kind of good. (laughs) He loves us. Oh, Oh, yeah. It's rejoicing in the midst of suffering. That's true perseverance. If you learn to rejoice in the middle of your growing pains, you will not grow bitter. You'll grow better. You grow bigger and Christ's character will be formed inside of you. So when life gets hard, people slander you, your company wrongs you, your hogwan refuses to pay you, or they kick you out all of a sudden. Or someone steals your money. Your family betrays you. Your coworkers persecute you. Let me encourage you. When you experience that kind of pain, rejoice. So that you can make that pain work for you. God is cranking out the character of his son in you. When you learn to rejoice in suffering. And this is a type of glory to glory transformation the Bible talks about. You can't be transformed from glory to glory without going through some stuff. So if you really think about it, every stage of the maturity the, the that I talked about, pain is involved in, in going on to the next, next stage, if you think about it. Think about it. Why would a person who's give me, give me, give me, give me, all of a sudden start saying, use me. I want to do something significant. It goes from me, 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 to oh, I want to... Do something on the outside. I want to, I want to feel better. About my, what, what causes them to do that? It's the pain of disappointment of realizing that the world doesn't revolve around you. And that every time you say, give me, ain't nobody going to give you nothing. It's the pain of dealing with that, that you start resorting toward, use me. Use me, use me, use me, use me, use me. And what, what will make a person go from, use me, to, I think there's something wrong with me. Search me. Once again, it's, it's pain. It's the pain of failure. The pain of your own weakness. You're saying, use me, use me. I'm trying to. Uh, you want to accomplish and do something great? And then you just plop on your face and you don't get the job. And you just feel like a failure. And then all your coworkers are whispering behind your back. That person can't hold down a job. That person's like this. This is why they got fired. This is why they didn't get the job. And then you start that pain of dealing with that type of slander, you start going, maybe there's something wrong with me. And then you say, search me. And then as you search, you search and God starts to reveal all this ugliness and all this dirt and all these, and you hear your mama's voice in there in your head saying the things that she always said all throughout your life. Be more gentle. Be more gentle, Christian, my son. That pain, that growing pain, it causes you to go, Oh man, I don't want to be like this. Lord, change me. Make me. Make me a better man. Or or in marriage, these pains of dealing with all these disappointments and hurts and pain, that's what causes us to grow. But you know what? There's a lot of people that go through a lot of pain that never grow. They just get more and more and more bitter. You see, it's just... The key is in how you respond to growing pain. I'm going to close with one more point. I added this. This is my own personal fifth stage. The unofficial fifth stage of maturity. It's very particular to our church. It goes from gimme, 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 to use me, use me, use me, to search me, to make me. And the fifth stage is send me. This speaks of the apostolic spirit that's upon the churches today. This is what Isaiah saw in chapter 6. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, Lord. Send me, Lord. You know, as we grow up and we come into greater maturity. God will look for those who will go and represent him. He wants you to go and be his ambassador. And that's when you come and you say, Lord, send me, Lord. I'll represent you. I'll do your work. I'll fulfill your plans. I have been crucified with Christ. So that I no longer live. But it is Christ who lives in me. God sent me. Send me out. You sent your son. So that I can be free. You sent your spirit. So that I can be filled, now Lord, send me so I can glorify Your name on the earth. Send me. And I was just kind of thinking about like how to sum up each stage. I'm just gonna to try to do it by memory here, right? Give me is like the child stage. Use me is like the servant stage. You know how we we all are called to be servants, right? Search me is like the sonship stage where you start really realizing you're called to be a son. And then make me. It's like the uh, kind of becoming a father and like, Really being forged with the character of Christ, right? And then send me is the friend stage. It's the, it's the, it's the friendship amb- ambassador. Like, it's a, like God's looking for friends, brothers and sisters. And when you mature, he's not afraid to call you friend. When, as you mature, he's not afraid to show you the secrets of his kingdom. He's not afraid to give you big assignments. Don't you want to be a friend of God? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Because a servant does not know his master's business. But check this out. You guys, I don't want you to stay a servant. I don't even want you to just stay a son or a father. I want you to be my friend. I'm being sent out, man. It's true friends of God. He gets sent out. They represent What is God saying to you through this message today? Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. You know. I'm going to have the praise team come back up. Um, My mentor used to say to me all the time. God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you can do for him. God is much more interested in who you are becoming than what you can do for him. You see, when it comes down to it, you see, the reason why character and maturity, you know why these things are so important? I'll give you one word why these things are so important. It's love. God knows the more you are transformed, the more you will experience his love. I mean, one of the driving reasons why God wants you to transform and mature and become the man or woman he wants you to be is so he can love on you more. He loves you so much.